Well, good morning. I'm a little bit early, huh? If you notice in the worship guide, yes, our order has changed this morning, but all of the elements are there just as they always are. Uh, We have just changed the order. Uh, And so I will be preaching now, Luke 12, if you'll be turning there. Uh, Then we'll sing again and observe the Lord's Supper and sing again. We've been going through Luke. Having uh, these three months, we began in January in this section of Luke chapter 9, and he had set his face to Jerusalem. So he's on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, When the uh, ensemble sang the song Jerusalem in the prelude, uh, it began, see him in Jerusalem walking where the crowds are. He's not there yet. In Luke, we're on the way for him to get there for that last week of his life there in Jerusalem. And now in uh, chapter 12, uh, the crowds are gathering. Thousands, Luke records for us, are there. It's a wild, wild mix of as we closed last week, animosity, as Jesus calls down six woes upon the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, pronounces woes upon them for their hypocrisy, and yet uh, the crowd, the throng, the crowds are thronging to him, and there's this huge crowd. Um, loving him and wondering uh, in wonder and awe. Uh, So there's that tension between the Pharisees and the religious leaders seeking to do him in, trying to catch him that they might charge him with some heinous crime, while many are following him, having given their lives to his teaching. Probably they're interested in what happened after he met with the Pharisees in the home uh, where they had a uh, luncheon. And so Jesus, in this uh, first 12 verses, he kind of takes the opportunity with the crowd listening, he takes this opportunity to teach his disciples. He's going to warn them about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as he continues with the Uh, idea of the woes upon them. He's going to encourage them in the face of opposition that they will be facing on this way to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem. And then after he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, and uh, then he's going to sound an alarm about the unforgivable sin. You might be wanting to know all about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I will whet your appetite, but I will not satisfy you this morning. Uh, I will be available for questions anytime. So let's read the first 12 verses together, and then we'll walk through them. Uh, We'll walk through them. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime... 
So in the meantime, as the religious leaders are plotting to, to kill him, to do him in, and the crowds are gathering, in the meantime, when a, so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's the teaching that the Lord Jesus has for the disciples at this point. Let's ask the Lord to help us in, uh, before we go through this passage. Father, we come to you. We come to you often with high-minded thoughts of ourselves compared to the Pharisees. Father, we come to you often discouraged in the face of failure, in the face of uh, opposition, in the face of trials and struggles. Lord, there's times we wonder, can you really forgive the depth of our sin, the number of our sins. Is there really hope in Jesus Christ? Well, we thank you, Father, that your word says yes. We thank you, Father, that your word brings encouragement. We thank you, Father, that your word brings warning. And I pray that each of us would pay heed to the warnings and the encouragement. 
Lord, we don't know things we should know. Teach us, we pray this morning, by your Spirit. And Father, we're not what we should be, what we could be. So we ask that you would make us fill up that which is lacking. Teach us, we pray. Change us, we plead. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first three verses, he's warning about the leaven of the Pharisees, the warning about their hypocrisy. You know, many or some of you maybe have been affected by phony religions and uh, hypocrites and uh, betrayals maybe uh, of those that you had uh, trusted. And what Jesus is doing here, he's warning these disciples against hearing and listening to these hypocrites. But he's also warning them not to be hypocrites themselves. We talked last week, uh, is the church full of hypocrites? No. Is the church full of sinners? Yes. Hypocrisy is a type of sin that Jesus really pronounces woe upon. He hates it because it is people uh, living a sham of a life, a life that is presenting something that inside is really not there. Uh, it's portraying a persona uh, 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 on the outside, disguising what's really going on th- on the inside. It's 21st century Christians, and we read our Bibles, and we think of the Pharisees and these scribes, and uh, uh, we think that their hypocrisy is blatant, and it's obvious, To all, well, that's not how Jesus portrays it. There in verse one, uh, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus portrays their hypocrisy as leaven. Many of you, or some of you for sure, have made bread, and the old way you made bread, I don't know how you make bread today, but the old way was you mixed up your dough and put a little bit of yeast in it and then you set it overnight. And that yeast would then penetrate the whole lump uh, slowly and secretly and uh, silently and continuously until that that lump of dough uh, swelled up to where it was ready to go. Well, the leaven of the Pharisees Jesus says is like that. It will penetrate insidiously, uh, invisibly into into a person's life, into the life of a congregation, eating into the relationships like a cancer. So this pharisaical hypocrisy is... Uh, 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 quietly eating away at lives. He says, beware. Beware that you're not involved either in hearing 
or being a part of this hypocrisy of these religious leaders. And he says, really, though, uh, their hypocrisy is not just wrong. It's also kind of pointless, verse 2 and 3, because whatever it is that they're covering up, whatever it is that you're trying to cover up by developing this outside uh, look will be exposed in the end anyway. It's pointless to try to be something you're not now. It's all going to be exposed. Uh, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you is whispered, you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. There's a day of reckoning coming. Uh, all the play acting, all the secrecy, all the hiding of the truth will be uncovered. It will be exposed, and it's useless, again, to try to keep people from knowing you. You know, do you do good so that others might think well of you? Jesus says, you got your reward. That's all you're going to get. Do you give like the, like the Pharisees who gave in the, in, the, in the places and in ways that everybody knew what they were giving? Do you give so that others will think you're just such a generous and kind person? Well, that's the end of your reward. Uh, Jesus says, you pray so you might, in such a way, you might be thought to be a good prayer. Again, you have your reward. All the impure motives will one day be uncovered. They'll all be exposed. God will judge the secrets of our hearts. The second half of verse 3 just stopped me. Yesterday afternoon, what you have whispered in private rooms. You get comfortable with your family. You get comfortable with a good friend. And say things in quiet that you would never want to be public. It happens all the time. In our day and age, nothing is hidden unless you're real good at it. But even if you're real good at it, it will be one day exposed. Jesus says, be careful. Understand. You think no one will know. The longer you're a Christian, you'll find out. Be sure your sin will find you out. You don't know how. You you may be one who finds something out about somebody else. You're not looking for it. It just comes because that person needs to be exposed. You need to be exposed. And the Lord will bring your sin to light. If not in this world, it will be in the end. These hypocrites of the Pharisees are are treading down on the people. They may be victorious and they may live the high life, but they're going to face the Lord Jesus one day. And everything will be exposed. Why bother with being somebody you're not? Being something you're not. It's all going to be exposed in the end anyway. 
to all the impure motives. God will judge the secrets of men's hearts. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul's writing to these Corinthians. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive their commendation or not commendation. Might as well be open, transparent, forthright. You know, the real issue is not that I stand up here and preach half of the time and then Corey stands up and preaches the other half of the time. The real issue is not that we stand up and preach. The issue is, why do we do it? You know, the things that you do in your life, the real issue is not what you do. That's important. But the real issue is, why do you do what you do? You may fool me and I may fool you, but will not fool the Lord. And one day, no one will be fooled. It will all be exposed. Hypocrisy that whispers in secret, hurtful unkindness while maintaining this veneer of love on the outside it just permeates it permeates lives your own and the life of others beware of the hypocrisy it's wicked it's short-sighted jesus says it's prevalent the disciples are going to learn if they're not learning already this is just not a theoretical uh, proverbial statement jesus is making about the evil Pharisees, the hypocrisy is prevalent among the disciples. Uh, And it remains prevalent among Christians today. Beware of the leaven, like the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus said. And then verses 4 through 7, he's going to encourage these disciples after talking about the heinousness, the evil of the Pharisees, and warning them against living that way, he moves to encouragement. Verses 4 through 7, I tell you, my friends, he's speaking to them. He says, verse 4, don't be uh, bullied, if you will, into silence or insincerity. I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Don't fear, verse 4, 5, fear him who, I tell you, fear him, he says at the end of verse 5, and then verse 7, fear not. So he says, don't fear, fear, fear not. And he goes through a progression of who to fear and who not to fear. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Verse uh, 4, you know, as again, as times goes on for these disciples, they figure this out. At the end of uh, chapter 11, there's a plot to kill Jesus, and they're going to be included in that plot. Uh, if not, 
while Jesus is here, after that, as all these disciples will face those who can kill their bodies, and they actually do kill them, uh, it's really... uh, uh, he, Jesus had just spoken about the fathers of the past, the last generation who had killed the prophets. But he says one reason to be really afraid is, or, or not to be afraid of them, is they're really helpless. Don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. What else can they do? Um, verse 11, he says, don't worry. When they bring you before the synagogues, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Don't worry and face the threats. Verse 8, don't let them encourage you to deny me. Everyone who acknowledges me, the Son of Man will acknowledge. Here's that encouragement. What's the worst they can do? What's the worst they can do? (laughs) It reminded me of the last church I was in, we didn't have elders. The deacons uh, did the work of elders. I had come to the church. I'd been made a deacon somewhere else. I came. I was on a trial period when I first came and spent some time being trained by another deacon. Uh, back in those days, we called it a yoke fellow program. You know, I had, and, and so then I make deacon. And so I'm a deacon in the church. And we're assigned a a list of families. And so I have my families. And the first phone call I get as a deacon, a a wife calls me and says, could you please come to our house? My husband is drunk and he has a knife and he's threatening to kill me. Um, My first call. I've not made a deacon visit yet. So I call up my uh, mentor, you know. Uh, Will you meet me there at the house? I'll go down there and call me if you need me. So I sit down and I think about this as if living through this life is the most significant thing on... (laughs) I mean, what's the worst they can do? He He should have said to me, what's the worst they can do to you? They... Maybe the husband will stab you too. But what's a, well, of course, by the time I get there, after all my fretting about what's going to happen, he's gone and everything's settled down. But what's the worst he can do? As if nothing's more important than staying alive. You know, don't we live our lives to try to be safe? Well, sure, we try to be safe, but is that the most important thing? Is safety the most important thing for us as Christians? This life here that we live is really uh, a dress rehearsal for the next life. Uh, We're conceived in our mother's womb. According to David, we're conceived with the sin nature in our mother's womb. We come out in our birthday suits and we begin to expose, we begin to show on the outside what we are on the inside, according to God's Word. Hopefully, we come to Christ.
and we put on Christ. And that becomes uh, the clothes that we wear in this dress rehearsal, right? This life is just a rehearsal for the nature of our everlasting uh, existence. This life is short. This life is a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow, according to James. And I know you young people are saying, well, I got lots of time. All I can say is wait till you're 73 years old and you look up and say, where did it go? Man, that was fast. You prepared for the day of reckoning we looked at in verses 2 and 3. This is, remember, this is the dress rehearsal. The real show, if you'll call it that, begins at the judgment. Ask yourself this, what have I been rehearsing and practicing for, in my case, the last 50 years? Maybe in your case, the last 30 or 20 or three or maybe the last week. What kind of a life in eternity have you been practicing for, rehearsing? Jesus is going to return one day. He's going to set the table for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The only acceptable dress code will be the robe of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the king comes in the parable that Jesus tells and he sees someone without the proper attire, The attire that's given to those who trust in the Lord Jesus through repentance and faith. Without that robe of righteousness that is given the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that person will be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. And there is the play of his life, of her life without Christ for all of eternity. And those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ will enter into glory forever and ever and ever. What are you rehearsing for? What are you preparing Four, in this dress rehearsal of life. Jesus makes it plain that this life is a preparation for all of eternity. For all that eternity will be to us. You want to know he's who and want to know what you should be fearing. Here's who, the one who can not only bring death, but then can cast your soul into hell. That's who you should fear. What are you afraid of, Christian? What are you afraid of, Tommy, when you get that phone call and there's a danger on the other end? The Lord Jesus has conquered death. 
through the resurrection. For me, to, to me, Paul says, is to live, but to die is gain. God, God does want us to be fearful, but he can not, he's the one who can not only bring death, but he can, beyond that, he has the authority to inflict internal misery on all who reject his son. And punctuates, Jesus punctuates that by, by uh, saying, fear him in verse 5, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast. And then he punctuates, yes, I tell you again, fear him. As believers, we won't experience that frightening authority that he has. We'll enjoy the glories of grace. Your heavenly Father cares for you, he says in verse 6. He's encouraging these disciples. He takes care of every sparrow. Not one of them will be forgotten. And the hairs of your head... His care extends to each and every sparrow. He's done the math. He he's even knows how many hairs Marlin has in his head. It doesn't take long to figure mine out. But he knows, he knows you. He cares for you when you belong to Him. Be encouraged. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves, of course. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He knows every sorrow, every trial, every uh, concern. And He hears you when, he, when you call. Cast all your care on Him, Peter says, for He cares for you. I don't want to miss the point in this whole context, in this whole thing, the Trinity is involved. When work is done on earth, the three persons of the Trinity are always involved. Uh, verse 6, not one of them, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God. The Lord Jesus brings up God in this encouragement. God knows even the sparrow that falls. He'll take care of you. Then verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. The Father cares for us. The Son is the mediator on our behalf. He will acknowledge us before the angels. And where are the angels in heaven? Around the throne. He'll acknowledge us before the Father. He'll acknowledge us before the angels. Whatever that means, we sing about it for sure. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Think about the moment at the judgment seat and I don't know how this is going to play itself out, but when it's your turn, if you belong to Him, and He says, Danny B., stand up. 
And Jesus stands up and says to the Father, He's one of us. He's part of the family. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. I don't know where all the songs are coming from. That's an old one. He will confess us before the Father and the angels. And then he says, verse 12, look at verse 12. 11, he says, don't worry about what you say when they bring charges, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Father cares for you. The Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father speaking on your behalf, and the Holy Spirit is teaching you as you go through this life. Be encouraged in times of threat, in times of intimidation or distress when you're worried. I don't know what to say to somebody. Just know that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Yeah, you may share the gospel and people may not be saved, but you shared the gospel. Uh, The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say and you may not save your life by what you say but God will be glorified, come what may. Uh, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John uh, heal the crippled person at the beautiful gate and uh, makes the religious authorities mad because they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And so they come and they arrest them, give them a night in jail. The next morning they call them up before them, and, and, and so who, who gave you the, who are you to be preaching all of these? You don't know uh, our faith. You're not trained. And Peter said, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, let it be known to you. We're going to obey God rather than you. And Peter preaches just before that this marvelous sermon to the people about the power of God and the gospel of Jesus. And they arrest him. He stands before them. They question him. I just wonder if when Peter's preaching, he remembers this episode here, the Holy Spirit. Jesus told me the Holy Spirit would give me the words to say. And then Jesus says, if they kill me, that's all right. He'll be my advocate. And the Father cares for me. Don't be intimidated. Don't. The Father cares. I'll acknowledge you. And the Holy Spirit will teach you. And Peter says, that's true. You know, that's true. He doesn't guarantee us safety. He says our enemies have no clout. Take your stand for the Lord Jesus. Be prepared to say. Be prepared to say. All my ways are known to you. Verse 3. I do not fear the final night, for death will be the door to life. You take my hand and lead me through all my ways are known to you. Hallelujah. All my ways are known to you. Mm. You said uh, there's a 
story about John Knox as they're laying him to rest at his funeral. Uh, a man shouts out in the crowd, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. May it be said of us, God's people, to his glory. So he warns about hypocrisy. He encourages them in the midst of trials and tribulations and maybe even intimidation. Uh, Verse 9 and 10, we've looked at the rest of them. Look at verse 9 and 10. After saying, verse 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also will acknowledge before the angels, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So there's a stark contrast there between the end of believers and those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a picture of at the judgment seat of Christ when someone stands up and says, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that and didn't we do, in in your name, we did all of these wonderful works. And Jesus says, before the angels of heaven, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers, of iniquity. If we're embarrassed about uh, at being identified with Christ, you'll be embarrassed at being identified with youth. If we say we if we say it, we have to believe it. If we believe it, we have to say it, right? Are you embarrassed? Are you quiet at times because of what somebody might think of you? And then, verse 10 gets worse. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Matthew and Mark both Uh, record this, Mark says this, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. And Matthew adds, they will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. All of these are in the context of what we saw in uh, chapter 11 of Luke where Jesus cast the demon out and the Pharisees or the religious leaders attribute Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit casting out demons, they attribute that to the work of Satan. The work of the Holy Spirit is, is called the work of Satan. Uh, that's the context. And, and there's disagreements over what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's not clear. What I would say, notice everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, it can't be that a sin against one member of the Trinity is worse than a sin against 
the other two, right? It can't, they're equal. They're on equal grounds. They're equally God. They're equally perfect. Uh, I would just say it has, surely it has something to do with the Spirit's work in revealing and calling people to Christ. Uh, the Spirit's work in revealing the character of Jesus and the person of Jesus seems to be crediting Satan with what the Holy Spirit was doing. It's a conscious sin. It's a willful sin. It's a deliberate sin. It's an intentional sin. And it's a sin that is continuous. To be forgiven implies repentance. Jesus' enemies show no signs of repentance whatsoever. Repentance is substituted with hardening. Uh, confession of sin is replaced by plotting to kill him. And in that way, they render themselves inexcusable and unforgivable. Uh, if if I, I'm drawing this out of the rest of Scripture, if you're really concerned that you committed this unpardonable sin, uh, you're on pretty good. You're you're pretty safe that you haven't, because the one who commits this sin would not care less to know that they've committed this sin. Uh, any truly repentant, any person who truly is repentant over their sin, as the Scriptures teach repentance, not just changing their mind, but then that change of mind uh, changes the heart, which changes the life. But if one is truly repentant, comes to Christ, Jesus will not cast you out. You don't need to despair about having committed it. I had a very good friend who for years thought he had. And he came to understand the Scriptures better and now is living, well, he's passed on actually. But he lived faithfully in Christ. When one comes fearful of, of having committed, but is longing for forgiveness. We can read them, Mark 3, 28. All sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But then we run across those who are confidently defiant, neglecting the promptings of the Spirit. We read the, verse 29. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, never has had forgiveness, never will have forgiveness. They're guilty of an eternal sin. They're not forgiven in this age or the age to come. So you can imagine the eyes of the disciples where Jesus says, your hypocrisy will be found out. Don't try to be what you're not. I'll take care of you, Jesus says to them. I'll stand before the Father on your behalf. And the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And he's teaching them, just don't mess around with sin. 
Don't play around with sin. Sin is dangerous. And you can imagine in that throng one man. One man who is harboring that deep sin and portraying himself as a disciple. One man who has traded his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. No matter how close you are, even to Christ, no matter how often you're in church, no matter how many days in a row you read your Bible, no matter how skillful you are in shaping your external lifestyle, you can still be far from the Lord Jesus in your heart. Can you imagine someone on the road to Jerusalem seeing what they saw? Hearing what they heard? And having a plan to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Judas took this to heart, or at least to his mind. He went out and hung himself because he knew he was a hypocrite. And he had no future in the, etern- in the kingdom of God. But a betrayal of Christ doesn't have to be that dramatic. You may say, I believe in Jesus. You may be here saying, I, I, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's changed my life. But maybe you haven't publicly acknowledged him. Until you do, he says, you'll be denied before the angels of God who are around the throne right next to the Father and the Son. Until you do acknowledge him, he says, you don't acknowledge him, he'll deny you. Just kind of say, what's what's that? What are you afraid of? Why is it that you're not standing up for the one you say has changed your life? Jesus says, fear God and tell the world. Don't fear anyone else. You're safe in the hands of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. We try to imagine the disciples as they hear it. How can Judas not know? Father, we know that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He's chosen to disbelieve, rejected. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would break the heart of any rebellious person. And Father, you would encourage the heart of your people the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.